So hey everybody and welcome to this week's show. Tonight, uh, Crazy Rigs, also known as Ed. Hello Ed. Hi James. Uh, and I, the first part, James, are going to watch Dread. So for those that know, based on the 2000 AD um, comic book character, Dread, the movie came out in 2012, stars Carl Urban as the eponymous judge and has a plot similar to but is not in any way connected to that of The Raid which is another epic film which I highly recommend people watch. Unfortunately for Dread it wasn't a massive box office hit but in recent times there has been news of a either Netflix series which I hope they do because I think Dread as a movie is good but I think he'll play to his strengths as an episodic character I don't see a problem with that you can expand the universe out much greater you can get to see a lot of different things so we're gonna get the movie started then we're gonna just chat about the sort of stuff as we go along so this is the um, Carl Urban starring feature as I just said which I'll edit out because I sound like a retard for saying that Carl Urban thing twice and not the uh, uber quality Sylvester Stallone version. I don't know whether what's worse in that movie, Stallone for taking his helmet off, because as everybody knows, Judge Dredd never takes <laughs> his helmet off. The fact that it's got John Schneider in it. There's a Weasley whiny. I don't know about that. Actually, I don't know if that's John Schneider's best performance ever, by the way. But that tried. I think it tried to do too much with that Danny Cannon film. But this one, you get the idea. It's shot in South Africa, so you get an idea of the mega cities and what they're all about. There's been a nuclear war; it's wiped everybody out. But what was really cool, and what what I really liked about the the comic book series as much as anything else, is that it was very subversive. There's lots and lots of British humour splattered all over the place. So, for example, you would have um, towers named after British. Um, government officials and there'd be really crap holes there would be places that you wouldn't want anybody to go so it's extra subversive at, at the time but it was also a big riff on 1984 Big Brother all that type of stuff and the idea that you're it's ultra right, right wing in terms of judge, jury and executioner um, and it doesn't matter how small the crime is, you would just be judged for it. So in the comic series, you'd have really daft things like littering. So that could be like a massive fine in terms of credits. And then before you know it, as soon as you back chat a judge, then it starts to accelerate up. And before you know it, somebody who's just littered then is um, sentenced to death. Now the movie takes things a little more seriously, which is good. I think that's cool. Obviously, the gun is DNA linked to it. Yeah. It's like you said. I think obviously it would work extremely well as a TV series because obviously you've got enough cases to build up, you know, a series, you could have an uh, overlaying or underlying case 
like a lot of um, procedural shows do. But also, for me, it's dark enough to be really good. I mean, like Daredevil. Yeah. Is really dark, and that's what for me helps it a little because obviously comic book movies are great, but because they're aimed a bit at kids, adults sort of want to see something a little bit different because you've grown up with the characters and you know you think to yourself, really and truthfully. That wouldn't happen. I mean, that would be a bit more serious than that. Yeah. So, yeah. And obviously, um, you would have thought that criminals would have learnt now that judges are completely insane and are not going to mess. Yeah, because in here you've got... It's quite interesting because you've got different types of judges for different circumstances. So you have your standard judges like Dredd, who are... You grunts, your assaults, they see everything black and white. Then you've also got the side judges, who are those humans who have been identified that have a high psionic capability, so they're partially psychic, and they've got some other tricks and traps that they develop as, the, as that particular series goes on. But this introduces Judge Anderson as well. Yeah. So, and she's a really cool character, she's really, really tough, she takes no nonsense. But it shows her from sort of a bit of an innocent character to develop through the film. He does not look very happy. Judge is never <laughs> happy. <laughs> then there's also the opportunity that comes in TV series you can introduce somebody like Judge Death, who is completely bonkers. So but obviously then, in the comics he's got a brother, hasn't he? Who was originally a judge but turned criminal. Yeah. And then obviously, because they're, it's been quite a while since I've read a Drudge Dread comic, they're, um, because they're clones, aren't they? That's also very cool, um, the weapons that the judges carry, their guns, you can, they can talk to them and it changes the type of ammo that it provides. For me, it's a great casting, because Carl Urban doesn't, he, he's got a great, no emotion face. Yeah. Another fact that what is really cool about this as well, unlike the Stallone one, is that the judges are the judges' gear. It's like it's worn and it's a bit crummy. It's not in the best condition. You could actually see the world becoming like that in a way, like with mega, mega blocks of buildings. Oh uh, yeah, they're, they're completely, the, the mega cities are completely insane and the buildings inside them, I mean peach trees is is specific one designed for this particular film and the drug slow-mo is quite interesting, slowing down moments in time. Good casting as Mama and Lena Headey, most people will probably know her in, from Game of Thrones. But she's a really, really good actress. Sarah Connor as well. A really good version of Sarah Connor in the short-lived TV series. Yeah, there you go. Thrown to your death with a little bit of slow-mo, so time seems to stand still. Even though we're not watching in 3D, this is a really clever 3D shot and actually gives you an idea of how 3D can be 
used in an interesting way. I can't tell they've been skinned already, haven't they? Yeah. They've only picked door number two. Exactly. So I think the quite clever thing about this film as well, although of its futuristic, you can notice quite a lot of things that happen today, like the kids on the skateboard ramps yeah. going around, things like that. So there is, you could say that society, even though it's broken down a bit, there is the still the general things which kids would do. Skateboarding, got kids on bikes, got homeless people. So, when you look at it, you can actually imagine the future being like that. Yeah. So why do you want to be a judge? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what the outtakes would be like as well. And we're working with Carl Urban while he's making this. However, he didn't like completely burst out laughing after some scenes. Ew. That's the thing as well. What always makes me laugh. I know. I know. <clears throat> obviously, you've got some. These are lower level criminals. But they've got all high tech stuff, yet they live in a dump. A real dump. Yeah, you know it's not good when you've got bars on the outside of your windows when you're inside a building. <laughs> So he appeared in the second issue of 2000 AD in 1977, 5th of March 1977 to be precise, and he was a creation of John Wagner, Carlos, Esquerda and Pat Mills apparently. Definitely got some cool high tech weaponry as well. Very cool. No, I'm not ready. Just gentlemen, sir. Yeah, so you're right. So senior judge uh, Joseph Dredd and his brother Rico Dredd were playing from the DNA of Chief Judge Fargo, the first chief judge in 2066. They were growth philosophers who accelerated to apparently the physiological age of five. With all appropriate knowledge for their age, electronic implants in their brains during, during gestation. So interestingly, Dredd was second in his class at uh, judge school. Rico was top. I think the thing is as well, they've got quite good in this one, is makeup and special effects. Because even though the special effects you can tell, some bits like computer generated or remastered in some shots, 
because a lot of it's done when the drugs are on, you can't notice it quite as much. <clears throat> no. Two thousand AD is responsible for huge, huge amounts of comic book writing talent who went over the adventures to the US and did a lot of stuff for Dark Horse comics. So not only do you have people like the, from the artists, you have people like Brian Boland. Um, in fact, if you've not seen it, I'd highly recommend. Uh, there's a there's a documentary about 2000 AD called Future Shocks, um, and it just charts the story of 2000 AD, how it came into existence, how they ran things, the artists. The only person, unsurprisingly, who isn't involved in the documentary who did work for 2000 AD is Alan Moore, the creator of Watchmen, V for Vendetta, um, numerous other supreme the classic comic iterations but then you've got Mark Miller as well who wrote for them before moving on to Marvel so huge huge amounts of talent and I think it's still seen as a point from which people launch themselves into the US because in the, in the documentary what they talk about is the fact that a lot of these guys grew up and they were massive Marvel and DC fans, as you'd expect, really. In the UK, pre-2000 AD, well, you had Dan Dare, and you had The Eagle, and then, probably for children a little bit younger, though I admit I read it till I was a lot older, you had The Beano and The Dandy. And The Beezer. And The Beezer, yeah. and Wizard and Chips. Yeah. A few of the sort of classics. And told him to move. I think what's different as well, in this film they focus on Mama, whereas in the Stallone film it was the Angel Game. Yeah. And a bit of a conspiracy type. Yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, like we've discussed in the past, you look at things and you look at some of the superhero movies that were around 10, 15 years ago, and some of them are pretty dire. However, if you hadn't had them, you wouldn't have some of the films that you've got today, and I think that's in a way, it's sort of like the natural progression, isn't it? I mean, you make a few, you get people interested, it's all good, and then someone comes along, and even with like comic books and things like that, somebody comes along and says, this is getting a bit stale, people are gonna get a bit bored if we keep hashing out this watered down, or this not quite, you know, we've got a franchise, we'll just keep spamming them out and eventually people will keep watching them. And um, I kind of think that's what helps Marvel, is that each movie is slightly different. They don't try, earlier on they were getting, they were, some of the films could have come across very samey, but they've been smart <clears> and they've mixed up the genres for each feature. 
but I agree with you. I think when you go back, so if we, the first sort of mainstream superhero film that most people will have seen would have been Superman the movie. Yeah. 1978. And for pretty much most of that movie still holds up today. The only bit I never really kind of liked is a bit where we goes and spins the changes the way the world spins and turns back time I kind of think that's just a bit what um, then I suppose after the Superman series sort of came to a close particularly after the absolutely awful quest for peace with nuclear man <laughs> which in theory has quite a clever concept in the fact that if you manage to get a bit of Superman's DNA, could you clone him or create some version of him? However, Nuclear Man's weakness was that if you put him in anywhere dark, his powers would dissipate and he'd yeah. just shut down. I think that's the thing. I think sometimes... Because <coughs> that's another thing we've discussed. Because, obviously, Superman is so godlike, finding somebody to defeat him can sometimes be difficult so obviously kryptonite works and you've got your different colours as kryptonite do different things you've got obviously doomsday and um, you know dark seed characters like that but obviously on this planet there isn't virtually anybody who can really touch him is there the only, so you've got Wonder Woman who physically is just a little bit under him in terms of power the advantage she's got over Superman is that she's a much much better fighter than he is way better um, and then you've got people like Mar you'd be relying on people like Martian Man Manhunter to slow him down and Martian Manhunter be more than, is more than a match for for Superman but that's sometimes a bit that frustrates me. It shouldn't be about heroes versus heroes, which is is interesting up to a point. What you want to know is where's the equivalent villain. So, what's interesting, like um, with M Night Shyamalan's probably last decent film, Unbreakable. Yeah. You've got the opposite ends of the spectrum. So you've got Bruce Willis's character whose body is unbreakable. And then you've got Samuel L. Jackson's character whose body can break at the slightest touch. And I suppose you've got the same parallels because you've got Superman who's omnipotent to a point. And then you've got Lex Luthor who physically is no match for him but mentally is superior. And that's the bit that comes interesting. And what they don't, I always find in movies, is they're kind of chicken out because they always go to Lex Luthor or Zod, but what they don't do is they've got other great villains like Brainiac, and they don't bring those in. And I much I think Superman's always better when he's got a significant moral issue, but something that conflicts, something that makes him. Because if you look at him on the surface, he's very vanilla, and a lot of people don't understand that it's not about what's at the forefront; it's what layers behind it, what's given that moral code. What would he sacrifice to save his morals? Well, I think, in a way, that's what <laughs> is, in a way, quite good about Dread, then. Obviously, he is a...
So I should imagine that's hard for her character, uh, Anderson's character, is obviously because she's got psychic abilities and she can see into people's minds and see into their past, she's probably going to have a little bit more empathy with them because obviously you can see points in that person's life that made them into who they are. So, you know, you got some kid who sees his parents get killed or he gets sees his parents killing somebody and he's in a criminal background and he's got to make choices and he's forced yeah. into that lifestyle. Whereas obviously Dread just sees it, like you said, in black and white. Right, he broke the law, he's dead. What's the reasoning why he's like the way he is? That's, that, that's it, isn't it? It's showing that there's... There is no black and white. If if you go to an extreme, so Judge Dredd is the extreme right wing of politics. Everything is black and white. You make a you make the wrong choice. That's it. And what Anderson is is somebody who shows in the comics in particular, but also in the film. What are the consequences of those actions? What does it actually mean? You've made that decision based on those facts and nothing else and in an evolved society do you just take the base facts or do you go into greater detail and try and understand mm. and see what the cause was now that's not to excuse any behaviour but it's just to say make decisions based on the right level of information don't just make them on the go. To me, that's one thing I liked about um, in the Dexter TV series was what Dexter's foster dad, dad said to him was when you take someone's life, you take all they ever were and all they ever will be and all they would ever do that being the case obviously you know criminals so you're taking a criminal element off the street you're taking um, murderers off the streets somebody you could go around and murder 500 other people or create a drug that kills millions but also if you lock them up Will they become rehabilitated and save just as many people? Yeah. I mean, it's a hard, it's it's a tough choice. It is. So, but having said that, I'd rather be dread than <laughs> on the other side of dread. <laughs> because you can guarantee that's not going to end well at all.
I mean, when I think about comic book movies, as we mentioned at the start, this this the first sort of wave that came through with Superman, and then you had the 1989 Batman series, yeah. and then you had you had, the you had there was a Captain America film in there. There was. <laughs> that was a time when um, DC was way superior to Marvel at making is it, movies. Is that when? Uh, because obviously he had uh, rubber ears glued on the outside of his He did have rubber ears glued on the outside of his helmet for some bizarre reason. <laughs> Alongside the fact that, if I remember rightly, his, one of his main things was he'd say that he felt unwell and then he'd go and steal people's cars. Yeah. <laughs> which is just really, really weird. So there's the Max Salinger version and there's two versions before that. And then there's the um, very, very odd, low-budget um, spin-offs from the Incredible Hulk TV series. So you had Thor appear in Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and then you had another one which had Daredevil in it. Yeah. <coughs> um, so there's a Nick Fury movie. Nick, Fu- Nick Fury with uh, the David, David Hasselhoff. And as um, the DC movies started to dip the Marvel movies seem to move in a different direction they seem to be coming up in quality because the film that always gets forgotten everybody talks about X-Men being the start and it's not because I think what people forget is the start is Blade yeah. Blade is the film that got everything back and showed that actually you can do things with comic book characters in a really interesting way and Blade was no major comic book star. He wasn't a hero, a massive hero in the, the Marvel Universe. I but he think, was cool. I think that's what works quite well though, is yeah, you might you, you've always got the characters people love. Batman, Joker, Superman, um, Iron Man. I know some of them are less well known. But the thing is, the ones that people don't know quite as well as everybody else, they're the ones that tend to make good movies. Because obviously I think what happens with some things is um, when Superman dies, he's defeated by Doomsday. That was a big thing. In your mind, you had that battle and how it was fought and how it goes. Try and put it on the screen. It's rubbish. They come up with some... I mean, 
when you think about it today, I mean, really I'm... and truthfully, you should be able to do something half decent with it. I mean, I would argue that it's not even a great comic. It pure the the death yeah. of Superman is a massive publicity stunt. His uh, readership numbers were waning quite dramatically, and DC needed to do something different. Mm. So they said we're going to kill him off, and that boosted readership. And then it had, I think it was what three or four variants of Superman. There was a a clone of a clone Superboy, a robotic Superman, yeah, uh, Steel, which is weird, and a movie starring Shaquille O'Neal. Um, well. I think that's the thing. Just, I think sometimes, obviously, because now I think it's quite, it's very easy to um, bring new stories in because obviously what they tend to do is you, you have a, a run and then at the end of that run something happens, you get some weird interdimensional thing or you get some deaths or you get something and then it's reimagined and a new wave comes in but obviously I think you know back back when we were kids I think they did worry a little bit more that if you know if they killed off a character what the you know what would the hell was going to happen because nowadays obviously the world you can go on the internet and you can get comics from all over the world but back when we were kids you had to you had to wait yeah, I mean, the, the stories that I really remember that were, came out of the news, the first one was the change in Spider-Man's costume. So I moved away from the classic red and blue to the black suit. That was the first one. Uh, Judge Dredd just found somebody guilty by throwing him off a uh, roof, or should I say a big ledge, and then just walking off and not really caring, while Mama watched him do that. Um then Death of Superman but one that wasn't really publicised very much but I remember quite a lot was uh, Death in the Family so the killing of um, Jason Todd as Robin yeah and I remember us being sent outside a I don't know if it was a bookshop it might probably was a bookshop and just being entranced by this cover of this comic book in York and just seeing it it's Batman holding the bloody body of Robin. I'm thinking, what the hell is this? I really, really need to read it. And then at that time, I was very fortunate because that's just, you got The Dark Knight Returns, you got Batman Year One, Death in the Family, and then The Killing Joke, which those are for very very good Batman comics and the only one that I think the only one I've enjoyed reading more than any of those is The Long Halloween I don't know if you've ever read The Long Halloween I've never read The Long Halloween so Long Halloween is basically the plot to The Dark Knight so it starts off with the commissioner working with Harvey Dent and then working with Batman all three of them together and then it shows the fall, but it brings in um, Catwoman and it brings in Poison Ivy with Superman. It's just really, really good.
can see other influences here though, can't you? Things like Robocop. Oh, Ooh, he's pissed himself. Um, with the drug factories. Which does lead you to that amazing scene in Robocop, the first one where he breaks in. <laughs> Clarence Bodica, you're under arrest. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> Wastes everybody in that drug den. They just kind of look like they're still firing guns at him, and you can see it's having no effect. It's like, what are you doing? Is that really? Uh, I mean, I know a lot of the time fear motivates, but is it always a good thing to have fear in there? I mean, she's got the knife next to him. I mean, he. You could tell he was sounding nervous on the thing. So you tell he, you tell he's lighting. Of course you would. Be easier just to say to him, well, get him to go away and uh, I'll forget anything that you've done wrong. Yeah. And you probably think, oh, that's a bonus and uh, give him a better explanation. Okay, this is, <laughs> this is a factoid that I didn't expect. The slow motion sound effect you hear in Dread was based on a Justin Bieber song that was being slowed down 800 times. So it just goes to show you there is good in everything. I wish they could just slow Justin Bieber down 800 times. But he has got a bit of a moral compass because he didn't just shoot two teenage kids there. No. That's true. Yeah, at least he knows they're on floor 200, so taking the stairs is not an option. Exactly. This is dread though, so, you know, he could possibly just deal with 200. Is that dude wearing a wig or is that his red hair? Because it's kind of it's kind of I, shiny, scary. I think it's a wig. Yeah. I think in a way, I think that is <clears throat> what's so good about some of these characters. <clears throat> Although they are vulnerable, he can obviously get shot. He can get beat up. He can get killed. The criminals keep underestimating him. And I think that it's because they try to think, well, he's a law enforcement officer. He's, although we know that the judgment can be death or ISO cubes or something like that, you don't expect him to be that nut. Right, forget it. Order you're dying. I don't care. I'm coming in there whether you like it or not. The worst one that they don't mention is uh, Banishment to the Wastelands. Vault, Judge Vault, who's the one of the, the guys who they told to leave, he's actually an ally of dread. He's, like, he's a, a good guy, as close as you can get to being a good guy, but... Uh, you got some bank cops. See, that's the thing. Really and truthfully, I mean, if you were a startling brainiac of a cop, the instant that dude pushed that button and it said open up and they opened up, 
you'd know something was not quite right. You'd think, ah, he's, he's obviously he's got some bad issues about him. <laughs> quite important that on screen that just showed that he's low on ammo and that's really important because his weapon only holds certain types of ammo so it's not like you can go and pick up someone else's gun and, and reuse it but he could pick them up and use them himself they're, they're different weapons but that's the beauty of the judge's weapon that no one else can use it against them because yeah. they're DNA encoded They're a lot sleeker in the comics, but these look more realistic. So it riffs on quite a few things when you think about it, doesn't it? There's the raid, there's all those sort of siege movies. Of course, then you've got a top tier like Die Hard. But then you've got sort of under siege and all those sort of built into it. Yes, I know the siege is on a boat, but it's still the same principle. You, you've got to move around one man versus many, that type of thing. I think that's the thing in a way, though. Dread does have the right idea. You take them down, because if you don't take them down, they're only just going to come back and cause you more trouble. You take them out, that's one less to deal with later on. That's a punisher methodology. Yeah. Except dread is not a half measure. No, no, definitely not. Dread and the punisher would get on very, very well. Other than the fact that dread wouldn't like the punisher because <laughs> he's a vigilante, so therefore he'd have to stop it. But the punisher probably would sign up to be a judge and then he'd be totally <laughs> fine. Judge, punisher... So she's quite unique as well in the judges that she has to can't wear a helmet because it just does it, it sort of um, suppresses her psionic abilities. See, that's the way Judge Dredd could confuse his enemies as well. Because what he could do is when somebody's looking at him, he could smile, which would get them <laughs> completely off of what he just smiled. Yeah, I don't think he's got that thinking though, unfortunately. No, he's just got, nah, I'll just go in there and waste everybody. Three more years now. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That it looks, looks like some nasty thing that that judge has got there, though. Oh, definitely. It's like a cross between sort of like a, a shotgun, an assault shotgun and an assault rifle. I think that's the thing that's quite good about this as well. When you actually watch them and they move, Though they're wearing that body armour, they move quite slow, although they yeah. can still do hand-to-hand -hand stuff, they move slowish, which would be true, because yeah. I mean you're bolted out. Yeah. I love the fact that Dread, who's just been shot, doesn't scream, he just grimaces a bit more than he is normally. <laughs> 
general hooks. He's a bit more of a wussy in this particular film, isn't he? Through harsh treatment, of course, after Mama gouges his eyes out and puts those computer things in his eyes. <laughs> bit she's of respect already, there. She's already passed as far as Dred's concerned. Let's go. Yes. That is quality thing about him. He's got a respectful grimace there. Oh, look at that. Yeah, mm. yeah I'm impressed. <laughs> it's not quite. It's almost the same grimace that um, John Voight does when he sees Jennifer Lopez in Anaconda. <laughs> So, rating for Dread out of 10, what would you give it? I'm going to give it an 8 <clears throat> because I like the more adult, like we yeah. said, the more adult comic theme. It's got a good storyline. Yeah. Um, some really good action sequences in it. Only marked down marginally. Uh, it, it's really it's only a minor gripe. I think some of the violence is a little bit unnecessary. Yeah. I know you've got. I know they wanted to give it a good sort of contrast that there's, you know, that's what violence is like. But some of it, it just seemed a little bit OTT. If they'd have toned it down a fraction, might have given it a bit more. Yeah. But I think Carl Urban as Dread is phenomenal. I think um, Anderson was phenomenal. And Marma, just total nut job, yeah. brilliant. And I think it's got a good cast. It was very well cast. I enjoyed it. What yeah. about you, mate? I, I agree. I give it an 8 out of 10. I think it's benefits from its. It's a clean and simple story. It doesn't try to overcomplicate things. And, and I think that's to its strength. I think it's at a great running time at only just over 90 minutes. That really, really helps. I think too often these days you get movies that way overstay their welcome. Sometimes you need it, sometimes you don't. This is an occasion where they got it exactly right. Um, and I agree, I think the the three main protagonists. Carl Urban is one of the best comic book interpretations out there by quite some distance. Definitely, definitely for anybody listening, you must watch this film, give it a go and hope that Netflix get a series out of this or any of the online streaming services. Someone does something with it it doesn't have to be quite as violent as the movie. It could be toning it down a little bit, and I don't imagine it would be. Um, but they could do so many interesting things. They could go into the wastelands. There's loads and loads of dread story to go on. And I think if things like Preacher can get adapted, there's no reason why dread couldn't be made a success. So, um, thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this particular show. And... Um, We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much.